0: Welcome to today's discussion, academic insights, preparing for disaster, sponsored by American Military University. Now, here's your host, J.J. Green.
1: Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Dean and Vice President, Academic Outreach and Program Development, American Military University. Doctor, thank you for being here with us. I appreciate you spending you, some Jay. time with us. It's a pleasure being here. Know thank you're a you. busy guy. Um, this is a really interesting topic, and uh, you've got some great experience in this, and I wonder if you would start by giving us a little bit of your career background oh, gosh. and um, some of your work in the field and um, responding to disasters and
0: how that's been for your career development. Well, well I appreciate that. First, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, emergency disaster management is is such an important topic, I think, that everyone needs to know about to be prepared. I started my career back in 1976 as a firefighter, a firefighter paramedic, and worked 33 years in the fire service, rising to the rank of division chief. Where'd you start? In Tampa, Florida, Hillsborough County, Florida. And I also had a dual career in the United States Air Force. I was commissioned in 1993 in an aeromedical evacuation squadron. So I had my full career as fire rescue, and then I had my Air Force career as a reservist When I retired from fire rescue in 2010, I became what was called a IMA or Individual Mobilization Augmentee Reserve and transferred to First Air Force that Mm -hmm. handles the National uh, Disaster Preparedness Program for Air Force and for assistance to civilian authorities. Mm -hmm. And I did disaster work there.
1: So how did the Air Force uh, part of your training uh, help to
0: prepare you for where you are now? Well, actually it prepared, Quite a bit. I mean, my Air Force uh, disaster response experience started at Oklahoma City. I was at the Oklahoma City bombing back in 1995, Uh, came up from Shepherd Air Force Base and spent several days there working the bomb site alongside our colleagues, other active duty and uh, fire and law enforcement professionals. Uh, Also Hurricane Andrew, that was Mm -hmm. part of my fire experience, and Hurricane Opal. Uh, The uh, Haitian earthquake in 2010 was involved in that in the Air Force. We were repatriating some of the Haitian casualties that were severely injured, flying them back to hubs to where we could have them transported to trauma centers to get care. Mm -hmm.
1: So what do you think is the current state of disaster mitigation in the U.S., and uh, what do you believe is uh, essentially the, the state of improvement? Is there room for improvement in the process?
0: Well, first, J.J., I think there's always room improvement no matter what i mean that's that's a concept i think that has made us where we are has put us where we are in terms of our preparedness levels now mitigation is on, is ongoing it never stops your communities across the country are always mitigating for the potential of disaster on the east coast and in florida it's hurricane preparedness you know in the northwest it's wildfires it's earthquakes Every part of the country in regionally has a disaster de jure, so to speak, where they have greater threats than others. So generally, everything from building construction to shelter locations to you know uh, training and providing you know training for the citizens to prepare for disaster. So in that sense, I think that it's it's done very well. Mm-hmm. very well. What, what has what have recent developments told you
1: about where the need might be great or greater? Uh, right now for uh,
0: disaster mitigation. Well, I think it's nationwide. To say that there is a specific need in any one area is hurt, is really difficult to do because mitigation is a is a commitment. You know, safer communities, critical infrastructure protection. Uh, it's probably our cyber infrastructure, our electrical grids, those are all, you know, high value areas, and high, I hate to say high value targets, but they are and they're most susceptible you mm-hmm. know, to attack or to disaster. And that's a part of the reason why I asked the
1: question, um, to get a sense of where your thinking is, because I know just from the work I do on a daily basis, mm-hmm. cyber gets a lot of discussion. It does. And having met and discussed this with um, the head of CISA uh, from the Department of Homeland Security mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago, I do know that cyber is a serious concern. And that's why I kind of asked that question, just wondering if even even if you can't rank them, does that
0: uh, get more or should it get more attention? Oh yes, I mean everything's tied into cyber. The the entire emergency disaster management community relies on cyber, relies on the computer infrastructures, relies on networks. You know, if they don't, ha- in fact, I'll, let me talk about our AMU disaster crew, when our, in, which is a Twitter feed that we have and. We actually uh, spun it up and had it running during Hurricane Dorian, when Dorian wasn't you know, quite sure where it was going to go. And we were live tweeting and providing real-time data to our followers, and which is another thing the cyber infrastructure supports because social media is cyber. You know. So if, if a terrorist attacks or a disaster occurs and it knocks down our cyber systems in some way, it's going to have an impact, everything from banking electrical grids to social media. And if we can't, as as emergency managers, if we can't communicate with our citizens, then it's just gonna compound them and make it worse. How does the force of people nationwide
1: to deal with all of these different types of disasters that could happen at any given time, how does that look in terms of um, uh, numbers, in terms of locations, in terms of capabilities real quick? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, you know, again, a lot of it's based on population densities, you know, where people are moving. You know, you're going to see a much higher density of response capabilities, uh, infrastructure capabilities in larger urban areas or in more populated areas. You're not going to see as much, perhaps, in more rural areas. You know, for example, you're going to have a much higher density on the eastern seaboard than you are, you know, in the central plains, simply because you've got a a higher population center than you do in that area it doesn't make the disasters are any less severe in the midwest but certainly on the eastern seaboard or even out in california in the western seaboard i mean let's look at california california is is a heavy populated state california is also a disaster state you know they deal with every year the the earthquake threat they deal with wildfires, wildfires. you know and the wildfire threat alone you know i mean we can see what happened last year with the wildfires out there that wiped out communities and killed you know a number of people interesting my guest today
1: is dr chris reynolds dean and vice president of academic outreach and program development at american military university i'm your moderator jj green on academic insights preparing for disaster sponsored by american military university on federal news radio part of the federal news network
2: American Military University is the number one educator to U.S. military members and a respected educator to our national security and public service professionals. AMU's field-tested programs are taught by industry experts to keep you ahead of trends in cybersecurity, data analytics, intelligence, homeland security, and more. Classes start monthly so you can fit quality education into your busy life. Learn from the leader at amuonline.com. American Military University is part of the accredited American Public University System, which is certified to operate by Chev.
1: Welcome back to Academic Insights, Preparing for Disaster, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Dean and Vice President, Academic Outreach and Program Development, American Military University. I'm your moderator, J.J. Green. Dr. Reynolds, how does education play a role in responding to disasters and keeping uh, civilians safe these days and times?
0: Education plays a key role, J.J. I think that it's important to remember that one is only as good as one's experience and one's education, particularly in in a field such as diverse as emergency disaster management. One of the things that separates American Military University in our emergency management program is that we have what we call faculty practitioners. And a faculty practitioner is essentially an individual who's got the boots on the ground experience who's managed to go on and get the education, whether it be at the bachelor or the master's or the doctoral level, because they have all of it, they, they go all the way to that end, they bring that to the classroom. So that's the faculty side of it. Now you have the student side, same, same mm-hmm. thing. You've got the student who's got 10, 15, 20 years of experience doing emergency disaster management that needs to check that square, needs to check the block saying that they've got the higher education now. So they bring that real-world experience to the classroom also. Mm -hmm. So now you've got faculty with the experience, you've got students with the experience, and then you have students that maybe have no experience. The learning cannot help but to occur Mm -hmm. because you've got, you know, uh, uh, concepts, complex concepts. You've got real-world disaster scenarios that are being talked about. You've got disasters that are occurring right now. In fact, during Hurricane Dorian, many of our, our students and faculty were involved in the Dorian response. And they were live tweeting on our AMU disaster career. They were also bringing that to the classroom. So when you have a discussion, you know, on a topic or disaster management, and you can tie it into a real-world operation where the students can not only discuss in a class, but can watch and see it happening. I mean, Mm -hmm. they can go to the Weather Channel, go to any one of the the television channels. They can listen to FRN and hear what's going on. So it ties it all together.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a small part of that, and just sort of a side question, but it feeds into it. You talk about the real world and the way we learn these days a lot of it has to do with experiences how much of what people get now in the education process comes from books or is it more an interactive kind
0: of thing uh, for students well that's a two-part two-part answer to that first of all one has to have books you know particularly in the general education areas there's just there's always going to be a method by books in the emergency management arena those books tend to be more doctrine they be Mm -hmm. they're either from uh, fema they're from dhs they're actually policies and doctrine now there may be some book learning that has to occur for just the basic concepts Mm -hmm. but the real learning occurs outside of the book it occurs with the experience you know i mean I think you would agree that, you know, you can talk to a colleague, in, in other words, in, in what you do, and pretty much tell immediately whether they're new in the field or they've been around for a while, just by how they're able to converse and talk about the topic. Mm-hmm. Same in emergency management. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, people generally have a good understanding of, of what their skill sets are. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, the programs at AMU uh, and EDM. Mm-hmm. Well, our, we have uh, our Emergency Disaster Management Program, of course. We have our bachelor's level and we have our, uh, our master's level on that program. And generally speaking, you're going to see a lot of the, the newer people, the people that maybe have less than 10 years pursuing the undergraduate degree. And they're bringing that newness into the program, much like I spoke about a moment ago, where they're learning from the experience of the senior faculty and maybe responders that have been around for a while. You're also going to see some of that group, but the older group in terms of their time on the job, perhaps maybe in greater than 10 years, attending the graduate program. Mm-hmm. Now these will be individuals who you know, are looking to, to move up uh, in their organization, their emergency management organization or within FEMA or within Department of Homeland Security or any of the 50 states emergency management programs and they're going to see them pursuing master's degrees.
1: So you have a very interesting program there, um, it's called the Masters of Disaster group and that, that seems to remind me the title of pop culture, mm-hmm. but um, it's very serious and it's it is. it's
0: way more than culture. This is about life and death. Right. Well, Masters of Disaster first of all predates Twitter. You know, we actually, I was a program director uh, for the Emergency Disaster Management Program after we built the program. We knew that social media was big, and at that time, LinkedIn had just essentially launched. Twitter hadn't even launched yet. This was in 2008. So as the director of the program and about six of my students, we said, hey, let's go to LinkedIn, and we can network there. That was the nucleus of what became the Masters of Disaster, which now has... 3,000 members, you know, with all strata of experience, everything from high-level people in, in FEMA and within the disaster management world to brand-new students that are just now learning. The value of Masters of Disaster was we used it much like we use AMU Disaster Crew now because, with Twi- you know, with Twitter, it's it's, you know, it's a network and you get the message out. And so this is knowledge sharing, too. It's exactly what it is. It's networking. Right, it's collaborating. Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing that's that's really important in any public safety arena, whether it's in fire, law enforcement, emergency management, uh, homeland security, you know, emergency medical services, is collaboration. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we use the Masters of Disaster as a collaborative tool, and it also allowed our faculty to mentor students. You know, because we all have a mentor. Right. You know, which is so important. Yeah.
1: Very interesting. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, please do. Pretty sure I probably have seen it over the years, but I'll go check it out again. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Dean and Vice President, Academic Outreach and Program Development at American Military University. I'm your moderator, J.J. Green, on Academic Insights, Preparing for Disaster, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
2: American Military University is the number one educator to U.S. military members and a respected educator to our national security and public service professionals. AMU's field-tested programs are taught by industry experts to keep you ahead of trends in cybersecurity, data analytics, intelligence, homeland security, and more. Classes start monthly so you can fit quality education into your busy life. Learn from the leader at amuonline.com. American Military University is part of the accredited American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV.
1: Welcome back to Academic Insights, Preparing for Disaster, sponsored by American Military University on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Dr. Chris Reynolds, Dean and Vice President, Academic Outreach and Program Development at American Military University. Dr. Reynolds, again, thank you for being here. This has been such a great learning opportunity for me. And you've talked about social media a couple Mm -hmm. of times already throughout our conversation, but with social media consumption so high right now, and I believe it's at an all-time high, Mm -hmm. how do you see it playing a role with first responders working in the field?
0: Oh, a critical role. Really? Oh, absolutely a critical role. Do they have time for it, though? Well, sure. Sure they do. I mean, it's part of the intelligence gathering. Okay. In other words, in any disaster... You know, you have the response element, and, and, and under NIMS, the National Inter- Incident Management System, where you've got a, an incident commander, you have operations planning, logistics and finance, you have different roles people play in a disaster. Part of that role is gathering intelligence, collaborating with, like a liaison with other agencies. Social media is a big part of that. You know, think of the intelligence that can be gathered. You know, if, for example, you, you've got a hurricane that comes through, we teach and preach that individuals should have 72 hours of substance available. They should be able to be alone or survive, rather, without other assistance for at least three days. Hmm. That gives responders a time to get into the disaster area. Now, typically we beat that extensively, but we still try to encourage people to do that. Well, social media you know, has the capability for an emergency manager to send a message out to the entire community using that social media aspect to alert people, you know, that your area has, has been stricken, that they probably already realize that anyway, but help is on the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can look at also in in terms of the use of social media with the Amber Alerts. You know, if somebody kidnaps a child, you know, uh, I, I know in the state of Florida they send out an Amber Alert right away and it, it absolutely hits all the telephones, you know, which is important. And Twitter has that capability. And Twitter's just one tool. There are other social media tools that responders use. And what are some of the other social media tools out there? Well, you know, one everyone's familiar with is Facebook. And, uh, you know, what's good about Facebook is that Facebook's proactive. In fact, they know if a disaster has happened to a certain area, they'll set up a page that allows people to check in so loved ones know that they're okay. You know, and uh, that's been used quite a bit. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that when we had uh, uh, Hurricane Michael came through, came through last year, it came through the Panhandle and hit Pensacola, hit my old Air Force Base, Tyndall Air Force Base, it basically wiped the base out. Wow. Facebook set up their application for people around the country to make sure that their loved ones that may have been in that area were okay. Now it required the individual that was in the stricken area or in a shelter to go onto Facebook and say that I'm okay, but it allowed families to know that they're alright. Mm-hmm. So the benefit of that is, is that families aren't si- tying up the cell phone towers you know if they're trying to call a cell phone Mm -hmm. you know most state emergency management officials have the capability of switching the system so the priority track is given to responders so that essentially cuts out a lot of extraneous cell phone uh, traffic so facebook that application allows folks to know what that they're okay Uh, Instagram's the same way any method by which people can communicate with one another via text or live feed or by walkie talkie type of application is an advantage. Mm -hmm.
1: You've talked already about the uh, at AMU Disaster Crew Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter uh, handle and I'm I'm interested in just a little bit more detail on um, how that um, brings value to your work and uh, uh, helps uh, helps essentially the people using it.
0: Mm Well, you know, we, we can th- one can think of the AMU disaster crew as a critical communication node, and essentially what a node is, is it's a central location where information comes in, and the information that comes in isn't necessarily brought in by any one individual, it's sent in by other individuals. In our case, you know, we have you know, several hundred followers, of which include many local and state emergency management offices. You know, we have direct feed from FEMA, the 10 FEMA regions. We we cover them, and they cover us. So it allows them when they tweet out something, it comes to AMU Disaster Crew, and our followers are made aware of it. We also have the capability too. If, for example, and this ties in the classroom, if we've got a, a, a disaster management class that's going on right now, and we have students and faculty that are in that class, but now have been called out to work the disaster. They can use the AMU disaster crew as a comm hub, a communications hub again, to communicate with one another back to the class. Mm. You know, because we all realize that, you know, when disasters happen, everything else sort of goes out the window, you know, but they have that capability of that communications back to their colleagues. Mm. And it becomes a learning event. It's a live lab. Yeah. How can the field of uh, EDM be improved? Well, again, going back to what, what I was talking, what we were chatting about earlier, there's always time for improvement. I think the most important thing that one can do to improve EDM is individual preparedness. I think that is absolutely key. Uh, and that's not necessarily something that, the, that disaster management officials accomplish. What they really need to do is educate their citizens, educa- educate the folks that live in their communities to be self-sufficient, to be prepared to have a plan. I mean, uh, think about most, most people have children or have family members, you know, and you think about what happens when a disaster occurs. It doesn't occur when you expect it to occur. It occurs yeah. in the middle of the night. It occurs when you're at work, your family's somewhere else. You know, it's nice to know that there is a plan in place that the family can talk and communicate with one another. Meeting point, all meeting, that. Exactly, a meeting point, know where evacuation shelter locations are so they can get there those that don't have a plan you know essentially uh, they have nothing to go by and think of the you know the how frantic a parent would be if they couldn't find their child you know uh, so part of that individual preparedness includes being able to be self-sufficient for 72 hours.
1: So just real quick um, does that mean more government assistance um, how would
0: that uh, how would that play out? Not necessarily you know one of the, I think one of the One of the flaws we get into is that I think a lot of people think that the government is going to save us. Mm -hmm. You know, the federal government, particularly FEMA. FEMA is not a response agency. Disasters occur locally. They happen in a community. And the people that reside in that community are served by their EMS, their fire, their law enforcement, their public works, public services. So they handle it locally. And if they need mutual aid, then they bring in departments or agencies from other surrounding areas or from other states, you know, and we have the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, basically, which is an agreement between the governors of different states that say that we will send you mutual aid if you need it. Mm -hmm. So the government's not necessarily going to come in and save. So Mm -hmm. there really isn't an increased cost in terms of, you know, more personnel and equipment. It's more education. Gotcha. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: I'd like to thank today's guest, Dr. Chris Reynolds, Dean and Vice President, Academic Outreach and Program Development, American Military University. I'm your moderator, J.J. Green, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com, search Academic Insights.
0: Listen to the entire discussion of academic insights preparing for disaster sponsored by American Military University at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: American Military University is the number one educator to U.S. military members and a respected educator to our national security and public service professionals. AMU's field-tested programs are taught by industry experts to keep you ahead of trends in cybersecurity, data analytics, intelligence, homeland security, and more. Classes start monthly so you can fit quality education into your busy life. Learn from the leader at amuonline.com. American Military University is part of the accredited American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV.